Um, <clears throat> y'all bear with me today. I don't have much of a voice. <laughs> uh, some, some have accused me of, of that being the case because I cheered too loud at the Furman game on Thursday in Orlando. Not true, although I was there and I did cheer. Y'all knew I was going to wear purple today, right? My Paladins beat UVA in the NCAA tournament on Thursday. It's a good day. It's a good day. Um, But yeah, somewhere along the way, the last few days, picked up a little something. Not COVID, tested for that multiple times this weekend. No fever, just don't have a voice. Um, But we're going to get through it. Y'all bear with me. Um, Today, our theme, as you know already, is letting go of enemies as we continue this series about letting go in the season of Lent and really wrestling with some of the hard things that we may need to let go of, the challenging things. And perhaps none is more challenging than letting go of enemies. But I was thinking about the fact that when you, when you hear that phrase, you could hear that in one of a couple of ways. You could hear it from the standpoint of, yeah, I'd love to let go of my enemies. Be gone, get out of here, right? Um, but, but today is really more about letting go of the idea that somebody, another human being, is an enemy. What do we do with that when we're feeling that way? How do we, how do we deal with that? Um, and what's our role in moving forward and away from that? So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that's in the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> and the first part of this passage is often connected with Palm Sunday, uh, because it's the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the last time. But the way Luke tells the story, it's interesting to hear what Jesus has to say once he arrives in the city, in the last part of this passage that I'm going to read. So pay attention, take a look and follow along if you'd like on the screens as I read this for us now. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the mighty things they had seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, scold your disciples, tell them to stop. He answered, I tell you, If they were silent, the stones would shout. As Jesus came to the city and observed it, he wept over it. He said, if only you knew on this of all days the things that lead to peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, encircle you, and attack you from all sides. They will crush you completely. You and the people within you, they won't leave one stone on top of another within you because you didn't recognize the time of your gracious visit from God. Now, some days it's a little easier after hearing Scripture to say this than others, but we do say as we hear the word, this is the word of God from the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit. And breathe life into the words that I speak. 
that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives on this day. Amen. This past Tuesday, our staff team met as we do every Tuesday for a team meeting. It was our lead staff on Tuesday. And one of the things that we typically do at the beginning of those meetings is to have a devotional and some time for prayer together. And this week, knowing what I would be preaching on today, I, um, I shared with them a prayer that is from a book entitled Prayers Plainly Spoken, written by one of my former professors, Dr. Stanley Hauerwas. Stanley had a way of praying plainly. He didn't sugarcoat anything. His prayers were raw and they were real. And the title of the one that I read on Tuesday is, I do not want my enemies forgiven. Anybody ever felt that way before? I do not want my enemies forgiven. So we listened to that prayer and we, we processed that. One of the questions that bubbled up as we were talking was, well, how, who is an enemy anyway? How do we define an enemy? And, and some, some around the table were asking themselves, do I even really have anybody that I would call an enemy? So who is an enemy? That's a good place to start today. So I want to suggest three categories of enemies for us today at the outset. The first is the people who have actually harmed us in some way or who wish us ill will. Those are are folks that we feel the brokenness deeply and we are hurt and that hurt can turn into anger and disappointment. People who have harmed us in some way. The second group that I would mention are the enemies that we create based on the stories we tell ourselves about them. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? People we, in some cases, really don't know well enough to be able to call them an enemy, but we think we know them based on maybe some little sliver of information about them. Maybe it's a political perspective or a theological perspective. Maybe it's the house that they live in or the job that they have or, or some other piece of information that then becomes what we judge their whole being on. Or maybe, maybe it's the story that we create based on something that we heard about them from somebody else. We haven't even encountered it ourselves, but somebody else said something, and so now we have created a story about them and turned them into an enemy. And then the third category are the ones that we have been enculturated to hate. Think about, for example, Northern Ireland and the years of conflict there known as the Troubles that was the result of two groups of people being enculturated to think the worst about the other's religious and political affiliations. And so they battled and killed and maimed each other over a long period of time because of that. Think about the genocide in Rwanda in 1994 or in other places around the world that so often is based on an enculturation process. Think about what happened on the streets right here in America post 9-11 when some people based on the color of their skin, the turban that they wore on their head, through no fault of their own, but through association with an image or a stereotype 
began to be victimized by folks on the streets and beaten and shot at and killed. So when it comes to dealing with our enemies, there are the things that are beyond our control, things that we can't fix, things that we can't, uh, we can't, we, we have no way of, of managing or handling. But today, I want us to take a few minutes to focus on the things that we can do uh, and recognizing that we have a, a role to play uh, because it is easy for us <clears throat> in thinking about our enemies to put all the blame and all the responsibility on them for the discord and for the brokenness that we feel deep in our bones. Uh, but notice that today, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, uh, he comes into town to loud hosannas. But, but beneath the cheers, he knows there lurks a people with hardened hearts. Because Jesus didn't come fitting the profile, the image of what they wanted for their leaders. See, they, they wanted somebody who was going to be their tribal Messiah, who would lead them in battle against all their enemies, conquer them, destroy them, return them to greatness. And when Jesus comes with a very different message, they are not prepared to follow the Prince of Peace into a new way. They would rather hold on to their enemies and their hatred for their enemies. And so we hear Jesus say in the scripture today, if you had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. They didn't, of course. And the outcome of that that we see a generation later in the year 70 AD is, is because they didn't let go of their enemies, because they continued to try to be tribal, then in 70 AD they are destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is flattened by the Roman Empire. If only you had recognized, Jesus said, the things that make for peace. His words were a challenge to their way of seeing things, and they are a challenge and an invitation for us today to recognize the role that we each have to play and to realize that each of us has agency, the power to act, the power to do something in our um, understanding of people who are other or who we identify as enemy. So I want to share a few thoughts about what a path to letting go of enemies might look like. <clears throat> and at the outset, I want to give credit to the three parts that I'm going to describe. I want to give credit to a woman by the name of Valerie Carr, who has written a book entitled See No Stranger. And the three steps that she identifies uh, in a journey toward loving, and interestingly, she uses the word opponents rather than enemies. Uh, but, but the three steps that she describes are rage, listen, and reimagine. Now, that first one might catch you by surprise and even take you aback, especially if you have 
been brought up to believe that you should always be nice. Uh, some of us uh, perhaps were enculturated to think that anger in and of itself was a bad thing, um, and you should suppress that. Uh, but Scripture never tells us that anger is a bad thing. What we do with anger can be a, a serious issue. But Carr talks about the importance of rage as an initial response to what we feel in regard to something that has happened around us or something that somebody has done to us. And what she says is that we need, we need to acknowledge that rage. Don't deny it. Acknowledge that it's there. And we need a safe container to deal with it. She says, it is important for us to tend to our own wounds before attempting to tend to the wounds of another. We got to deal with our stuff. We got to deal with our feelings, that anger, that hurt that we are feeling. So I want to suggest a couple of ways in which we can do that. One is through prayer. And the Psalms offer us a wonderful place to see that modeled. Have you all read through the book of Psalms? Do it if you haven't, because you will encounter every human emotion there. The psalmist knew that coming before God was a safe place to be able to say and share whatever he needed to share. Psalm 137, the very end, he is so upset, so angered by the way his people have been treated that that psalm ends with these words, with a prayer that God would dash the heads of the infants of his enemies against the rock. That's some rage right there, right? And he is able to offer that in the safe space of prayer with God because God is one who can hear us at our most vulnerable moments, allow us to speak, and then move from that to encounter a softening of the heart and the mind. The beginning of that prayer that I mentioned at the beginning by Stanley Hauerwas starts like this. Forgiving Lord, I do not want my enemies forgiven. I want you to kill them, as sometimes prays the psalmist. Actually, I would prefer to pray that you punish them rather than kill them, since I would like to watch them suffer. Now, that sounds harsh, but it's real, and it's honest, and it's vulnerable, and it's him being fully in touch with what he is feeling in that moment. Prayer can be a space where we can be like that. It's also a good idea to have a trusted confidant or small group of people where you feel safe sharing those difficult emotions, the ones that you don't feel like are safe with just anybody, or the ones that you know wouldn't be appropriate to share with just anybody. Uh, for me, Catherine is that, uh, and my covenant group, a uh, group of pastors from around the Florida Conference are that, where I know it's okay to say what I need to say, and they will help me process those feelings that I'm having. Rage is sometimes an important first step, just in simply acknowledging what we really are feeling, and feelings are feelings, folks. They just bubble up. The second step is to listen. Once we have tended to our own wounds, 
then we, begin, we can begin to step into a space where we are willing to listen to the experience of someone different from ourselves. And the listening step is where we begin to be able to humanize the other. And rather than creating these us and them spaces, we come into one space and are attentive to what we hear about a person whose experiences and background and life is different from our own. You know, I was thinking this week that there are a lot of things that keep us um, at a distance from one another and certainly from people that we consider our enemies sometimes. But I will say that I believe that the land of COVID that we lived through <clears throat> diminished our capacity for listening to people different from ourselves. Because we were isolated, we were stuck in our own echo chambers, and, and, and we weren't with people physically for a while. And we need to recover, friends, the ability to be with people different from ourselves uh, without hating or hurting each other. And so we need to humanize one another. Carr says this, there is no such thing as monsters in this world, only human beings who are wounded. We don't need to label somebody who we might think of as an enemy, as something other than human. But when we begin to realize that other people act out of their own woundedness, then we can begin to listen to those wounds, listen to their experiences, and get to a better place with folks that perhaps we misunderstood or who misunderstood us before. Patricia Rabin, in her book, My First White Friend, uh, Confessions on Race, Love, and Forgiveness, <clears throat> writes uh, about the time when she learned about the Hawaiian practice of ho'oponopono, which is a means of moving toward forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's a, it's a way in which when there has been a wrong, a hurt, uh, a misdeed, something that has caused pain and fracture, typically an elder in the family or in the community will bring the people together and they will sit down in a circle and they will have a conversation where there is honesty and truthfulness and the prayer of Ho'oponopono moves people from uh, regret and sorrow for what they have done to ex experiencing thankfulness for the other person's willingness to listen and then finally to reconciliation and a commitment to love each other as they go out from that space and that time. Ho'oponopono. It's important that we move into a space where we can listen to those who are different from ourselves because that humanizes the other. Lastly, we need to reimagine. We need to reimagine what our relationships with other people might be like. I mentioned the genocide in Rwanda, which happened in 1994. Over a period of days, um, a million people massacred. And again, that was largely based on an enculturation uh, of hatred, based on one's tribal identity, whether you were Hutsi or Tutsi or Hutu. And it was also largely based 
on propaganda, propaganda that had been perpetrated about the other over an extended period of time. So in 1999, uh, the Rwandan government set up the National Unity and Reconciliation Commission. And the goal was to be in it for the long haul, to do work that would uh, keep this from ever happening again. Memorials were set up across the country so that no matter where you lived in Rwanda, you had easy access to a place where you could go and witness and remember. And the reason you did that was so that you would not ever want to do that or see that done in your community or to another human being again. That commission and that commitment also um, radically changed the education of children in Rwanda so that they were intentionally brought together people from what had formerly been different tribes so that they would learn together and learn to love each other and share life with one another. And there were truth-telling circles that were set up where those who had perpetrated crimes as a part of the genocide would sit and listen to the stories of those who had lost family members during that time. In 2020, the commission published a report Uh, that was an update on the progress that had been experienced. And I love the fact that 20 plus years into the work, they are still doing the work and they are still monitoring as a means of accountability how things are going in their country as a result of that work. Here's a statistic that came out of that report in 2020. 98.2% of Rwandans now identify themselves as Rwandans not as a member of a particular ethnic group in Rwanda. 98.2%. There's a hymn that we've been singing some recently at the 8 a.m. service that's entitled, Help Us Accept Each Other. And there's a line in the last verse of that hymn that says, we need new eyes for seeing, new hands for holding on. Renew us with your spirit, Lord. Set us free. Make us one. Letting go of enemies is hard work. And sometimes work that we would prefer to resist. After all, as Hauerwas also says in that prayer of his, if I lost my hates, God, my enemies, how would I know who I am? You all ever had done that before? Where sometimes we can identify who we are by knowing who we are not, right? We do that in a lot of different ways. If I lost my hates, how would I know who I am? Toni Morrison says this about hatred. Hate burns off everything but itself. So whatever your grievance is, your face looks just like your enemies. The alternative is to listen to the voice of Jesus. The alternative is to step into the way that he teaches us and that he models for us. As we read through the Gospels, we hear time and time again his call to forgiveness When Peter asked him how many times he should forgive somebody who has hurt him, you all remember perhaps Jesus says 70 times seven, which 
did not literally mean 490 times. Jesus' whole point was don't keep count. Just keep forgiving because that is part of the work that you do as one of my followers. He embedded it in the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Forgive others their trespasses as you have been forgiven. And in his ministry of healing, we see on numerous occasions that physical healing is connected to an experience of knowing that one is forgiven and has been forgiven and then set free for joyful living. And it's not just in his words, it's in his witness. Even at his most vulnerable and suffering moment on the cross, we remember that he said about those who had persecuted him, Father, forgive them. On November 14th, 1940, the cathedral in Coventry, England, and the community around it was uh, bombed in in the middle of World War II. And the cathedral uh, was practically totally destroyed except for some of the exterior walls and columns. Um, And in the aftermath of that, the decision was made not to rebuild that building, but to leave the ruins as they were, as a reminder of what hatred and what holding on to enemies can do. They built a new cathedral beside it that has become a a hallmark of the work of peace and reconciliation. But right after the bombing, a couple of things happened. One is that shortly after, the day after, it was noticed that a couple of charred beams had fallen and landed in the shape of a cross. Uh, Not unlike what some folks noticed after 9-11 here in America. And those beams were set up at the front of what used to be the cathedral. And then in the days after, Provost Dick Howard uh, of the cathedral had the words, Father, forgive, inscribed in the wall behind where that cross now stands to this day. On Christmas Day, 1940, later that year, he was heard in a BBC radio broadcast from the cathedral ruins saying that when the war came to an end, it would be important for them to work with those who had been enemies to build a kinder, more Christ-childlike world. To this day, every weekday, there is a litany of reconciliation that is prayed at Coventry Cathedral at noon every day. That litany goes like this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The hatred which divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class, and then the congregation responds together, Father, forgive. The leader continues, the covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own, Father, forgive. The greed which exploits the work of human hands and lays waste the earth. Our envy 
of the welfare and happiness of others, our indifference to the plight of the imprisoned, the homeless, the refugee, the lust which dishonors the bodies of men, women, and children, the pride which leads us to trust in ourselves and not in God. And then the litany ends this way. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. My friends, where do you need the Spirit today to work on your heart to guide you along the path of letting go of someone who feels like an enemy to you right now. As we close this morning, I invite you to hear the end of the Hauerwas prayer and notice how having moved through his rage, he lands at a place of reimagination of what the future might look like. Will you pray with me? Yet you have bent us toward reconciliation that we may be able to pass one another Christ's peace. It is a terrible thing to ask of us. I am sure I cannot do it, God. But you are a wily God, able to accomplish miracles. May we be struck alive with the miracle of your grace even to being reconciled with ourselves. Amen.